You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Alrighty. Well, I encourage you as always to have your Bibles open because in one sense, I guess the uh, Bible reading is like an unwrapped gift and then I unwrap it. But I think actually, you know, uh, where the authority lies is not in my words, right? But in the words that were read. And so what you guys need to do is have your Bibles open and making sure that when I speak, uh, what I'm saying is, is, is on the text and, and speaking the truth. Uh, how about I pray for us and then we will uh, have a look at this last part of the Trinity for this series. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it has the authority and the truth. And when we hear it read, uh, we're hearing you speak. That is a wonderful thing. We thank you so much that we can know the truth from the Bible. Uh, please be with me. Help me to say things that are true and helpful and accurate to your word. And we do thank you for the wonderful year, the wonderful semester we've had. And we thank you for this celebration tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. There are sometimes uh, moments in life where uh, something happens and you're thankful for it. You, you appreciate that it happens. But it's only later, maybe weeks, months, even years later down the track when something else happens and you gain a greater insight to the first time and suddenly you see the whole situation in a much deeper way and you're more appreciative than ever. I'll try and give you an example. Uh, when I was little, say at primary school, uh, my mum cooked dinner for our family pretty much every night. Uh, my dad's not much of a cook. He would occasionally bust out the barbecue, but basically it was mum. And, you know, I appreciated it. I appreciated the fact that there was food on the table. And sometimes I think I might have even said, thanks, mum. Looking back, probably should have said that more than I did at the time, but I, I, was, I was thankful. Then, years later, I gained new insight because years later, by God's grace, I had been, uh, I was married and God had blessed us with little children. And now I was on the other side of that equation. I was uh, the adult, the parent. And uh, in, in my family, uh, Helen and I kind of share the cooking. I don't know, maybe it's around 50-50. But still, you know, you're working full time and life is busier and there's more stuff happening and there's all these bills coming in and you're trying to uh, keep the ship afloat and uh, pay those bills. And in the midst of it all, someone has to cook dinner. Oh my goodness, they need to be fed every single night. Why is it every night? Can't we just feed them like once a week? Isn't that enough? What do they want? And in that new situation, I look back and go, oh, and I have a deeper appreciation for what happened before. It's not just that mum was waiting around all day and just kind of cooking, you know, with, I don't know, I didn't understand as a kid that there were all these other factors going on. And so when that happened, I actually picked up the phone and called my mum and just went, thank you. I didn't realise all of the hurly-burly that was going on and I have a deep appreciation for it now. Thank you that there was a delicious meal on the table every night. I think and you guys can tell me later on perhaps if this is true, I think a deeper understanding of the Trinity can do a same kind of thing for us as Christians. There are things that you probably already know, perhaps you've known for many years and you get it and you're thankful, thumbs up, thank you God. 
But I think the doctrine of the Trinity can be something that when we get to know God better and in a deeper way, then we look back on some of the blessings he's given us and we go, oh, and maybe we pick up the, the metaphorical phone to God and say, thank you. I didn't quite get it as deeply as what I should have. And so what I want to do tonight for this last part of our series uh, is to look at two blessings that we receive as Christians. And I imagine for most of you here, you, you already know about these blessings. So I guess that'll be a, a helpful reminder. Uh, if you don't know about these blessings, then it's going to be a double win tonight. You're going to learn something new and, I pray, go deeper as well. Uh, yeah, because that's what I hope. I hope you can kind of revisit these things that you already know. But now, with, I pray, a deeper understanding of the fact that God is Trinity, appreciate these blessings, I hope, and, and be more thankful to God as a result. So we're going to look at two. We're going to think about the fact that we are adopted as God's children. And also we're going to think about the fact that we are made in God's image and go a little deeper. Uh, We're going to start tonight just briefly in uh, Ephesians chapter one, and that should be coming up on the screen. There it is. Ephesians chapter one from verse three. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. It's that last little bit there that I want to draw to your attention. Uh, We're told in these verses that we've been given every spiritual blessing. And if you read through all of Ephesians chapter one, you'd be counting them off. Bang, 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 bang. So many blessings. But this is the one I want us to think about this evening, the fact that God has predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, I just want to flag an issue here. Uh, It's possible some of you read that and go adoption to sonship and you go, that sounds like kind of old fashioned language. Why does it say that? Uh, You know, we're sons and daughters of God, aren't we? We're children of God, aren't we? Yes. Okay. I'm going to just We're just going to kind of put a little asterisk next to that adoption to sonship for a moment. And I'm going to just carry it over here. All right. We're just going to drop that there for a moment. Okay. Just put it in stasis and I'll I'll come back and revisit that. Don't let that trip you up. I will address it. Uh, But for the moment, I want us to keep thinking about this fact that we've been adopted as God's children, or as the language of this verse says, adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And to kind of dig away about at that a little bit more, I'm going to take us to a second passage. Uh, This time it's Romans 8, uh, which was read for us, also on the screen from verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. There it is again. Your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, did you see that in those verses? The Holy Spirit, who we receive as a a gift from God when we become Christians, brings about our adoption to sonship that allows us to call God our own Father. There's a lot going on in those verses and you might have kind of just washed over you like a wave at the beach as I read it. So I just want to pause here for a moment and try and make it a little bit clearer for us. Uh, so the, up on the screen is coming a, a diagram. Uh, 
as a Christians, I think we're used to this little link between us and Jesus. Uh, we know that when we become Christians, it's all because of Jesus. And we might be used to Paul saying things like we're in Christ or other passages where we're supposed to follow Christ or become more Christ-like. Because Jesus, although he's the eternal son, has also become a human being, there's, there's some sort of symmetry there, right? Jesus is a human, I'm also a human, and so I can follow him. I can try and uh, base my life off him. And so there's lots of passages which do that for us in the New Testament, like this one up here on the screen from John 15, verse 12, where Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, right? You get that little dynamic. Jesus has loved us with a self-sacrificing, other person-centered kind of love. I can go out now and do the same thing. I need to have a self-sacrificing, other person kind of love the way Jesus does as well. Good. Sometimes when we go on and we start thinking about the Trinity and we get our heads full of all kind of amazing knowledge about the fact that God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, we think, I wonder if I can do the same kind of dynamic. I know I'm supposed to follow Christ, be like Christ. Is there some sense in which I'm supposed to be like God? Is there some sense in which I'm supposed to be kind of Trinitarian? So on the next slide, uh, I'm going to just flag right from the get-go. This is probably a dodgy picture of the Trinity. I don't think you can really draw the Trinity, but I had to put something on the slide. I'm a visual kind of guy, so that's my best crack at it. But it's, you know, don't copy it down like this is the, how the Trinity works. What the diagram is trying to say is, can we do a similar little move? The way I'm supposed to be Christ-like, should I be God-like? Should I be Trinitarian? I'm going to try and give you an example of what that might look like. Maybe we say something like this. Um, okay, I've learned about God and he's Trinity. He's three persons, he's Father and Son and Spirit, and the persons are equal and they respect one another, and they love one another, and there's no hierarchies, there's no leaders and followers. They're all fully God. So they're kind of like a community of persons. And so what I'm going to do now is copy and paste that down to us and go, well, we're a community of persons too, right? We're, well, here we're the CU, or on Sunday you're the church. Maybe we're supposed to kind of be Trinitarian. Maybe we're supposed to be a community of equals and we shouldn't have leaders and followers. We'll just have this deeper quality as well. You can see how maybe you could try and pull that off. But I'm not sure it's even possible because God is Trinity. When we say that there's three persons, yeah, that's right. They are Father, Son, Spirit but they're not three different beings in a community. They are one God. And as close and as united as we might be, we're not Trinitarian. We can't be Trinitarian. So I don't think that little link there works. Instead, I think it looks more like this. Next picture. Uh, Emden, can you just flick back and forth from the last slide to this slide for a moment? Right, you see the difference? Instead of that white circle being around the Trinity, it's still around the sun that the first instinct you had as a Christian that we are to follow Jesus, we are to be Christ-like is the right one. I think the Trinity can still say something to us about who we are as Christians and how we ought to live, not because we're going to somehow be Trinitarian, we can't be. The significance is we are linked to Jesus, we are in Christ. That's where the significance comes. Jesus is a human being, you are a human being, I'm a human being, so that's the link. 
And the wonderful thing is this, because we're in Christ, because we're linked to Jesus, united to Jesus in this really deep way, we begin to enjoy the relationships that Jesus has in the Trinity to a certain degree. I say to a certain degree because you're not suddenly becoming the fourth member of the Trinity or something weird like that. The Trinity remains unchanged, but because you're in Christ, you begin to to take up and enjoy some of the relationships that Jesus himself has. I just want to let that sink in for a moment. That's kind of amazing. That's kind of epic. The perfect, loving, other person-centered, harmonious, joyful relationships that the Son of God has had with Father and Spirit from forever, we are now able to participate in to some degree. That sounds like theological gobbledygook. What What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? Well, the same Spirit that Jesus has, that he received from his Father, the Holy Spirit, we receive that same Spirit. We enjoy in the here and now as Christians something that Jesus has enjoyed from forever. It means that we get to call God our Father just the way Jesus has always called God his Father. I mean, that's not natural for us. That's not a given. We can't just waltz into these relationships and say, I'd like to be part of this as well. This is all by God's mercy and by God's grace. We are in Christ And so we get the same spirit. We call God our Father just as he did. This is holy ground and we need to treat it with respect. Now I'm just going to walk over here and pick up that issue from earlier and bring it back. I think this is why Paul talks about that we receive the spirit of sonship. It's not just old antiquated language. It's not some patriarchy left over from long ago. I think Paul's making a point. He's actually highlighting the fact that whoever we are, old or young or men or women or whoever, we are in Christ. We're in the Son. And that's significant. In fact, in Romans 8, which is going to come back up on the screen, in verses 14 and 15, Paul deliberately uses the Son language. And then verses 16 and 17, he changes it to the gender neutral children. So he's making a point. We are in the sun and we enjoy those relationships almost as if we were the sun. We occupy that same space. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to read these few verses again now. And my hope, my prayer is that they'll make a bit more sense to you and you'll feel some of the gravitas, some of the glory of this truth. Romans 8 from verse 14 again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is precious to be kind of invited into God's family, as it were. Uh, While I was prepping this talk, I read this account of a guy who uh, was uh, away from home at Christmas time when he would normally be with his own family. And he said this, 
I've only ever been apart from my family for Christmas once, about 10 years ago. However, a friend's family invited me to their home. When I arrived, I was greeted with warmth, given presents and included in the rituals and the conversation of the family. My fears of loneliness soon disappeared. It was an overwhelming and happy day. Could this be a taste of what Christians enjoy being adopted into God's family? When you became a Christian, you may not have realized this at the time, but when you became a Christian, you were invited into God's family. You were in Christ. And so you enjoyed his relationships with his father and with the Holy Spirit. You were caught up into that. It's a wonderful thing that we've been welcomed into God's family. We've been invited in to enjoy some of the amazing love that exists within the Trinity itself. It's amazing that God would love us so much to invite us into the most precious relationships in existence, in history. The love and the honour that the Father, the Son and the Spirit have been enjoying forever. Uh, so the applications here, the, the generic applications, I guess, but real ones nonetheless, would be awe and praise and joy. They are things that I hope you're feeling a little bit of. You ought to be. It's an extraordinary thing that sinners, rebels like us, would be invited in to these relationships. Awe, praise, joy, yes. To get a little bit more specific, and I know this is a celebration and that some of you are finishing your studies uh, this semester. Well done. Congratulations. That's a real achievement. Uh, let me speak to those of you who are going to be graduating soon and think a little bit about identity. This is a precious place and an appropriate place for us to find our identity. The fact that we are in Christ. The fact that God is our Father, that we have received His Holy Spirit. Uh, for those of you who are finishing up your studies, uh, some of you, I guess, may be going on to further study. Uh, in that case, my condolences, but you know, keep going. Uh, a lot of you, I imagine, will finish up your studies and you'll be heading out there into the big bad world and looking for that first job. And I pray, all the staff pray, that you will graduate well and you'll find that first job without too much stress and you'll be off and running in that next stage of your life. Uh, but as a staffy who's been here for some years, and the other staff can attest to this as well, uh, every now and then we're aware of grads who finish up their time at uni and, and they struggle a little bit. They struggle to find that first job, or they struggle with the transition from being a student, which you have been for like most of your life, right? And to become something else, to become a worker. Uh, sometimes if that struggle is big enough, they start struggling with their mental health. They start struggling with low self-esteem. All their friends have seemed to have just waltzed into a job almost straight away. And now it's been six months since they've graduated and they've sent off 30, 40, 50 resumes and been to a couple of interviews, but nothing's really happened. And that can be really hard. You can start to think, what's, what's wrong with me? How come everyone else gets the job and I'm, I'm not going anywhere? That can be hard no matter who you are. But one of the real antidotes to that kind of spiral that can happen is knowing where your identity is. It's not in what kind of job you get. It's not in how fast you get the offer, you know, after graduating. Or some of you have already got an offer in your final year, right? Uh, it's not in the size of your salary or when you manage to get into the ridiculous property market of Melbourne. Uh, your identity is found in Christ and in our wonderful Trinitarian God. 
I'm so looking to NTE, by the way, looking forward to it because it's on that topic of identity. I think that is one of the key issues of our day. So I hope you make a priority to get there. We've been loved with a great love. That's our first kind of blessing that I wanted to take us to, the blessing of the fact that we are the children of God, we are daughters, we are sons of God in Christ. And I think it can be a wonderful, stabilizing truth for the rest of your life. Uh, we're going to change gears, though, now and go to a second blessing. Uh, this is the blessing of the image of God in us. And uh, we're going to think about this a bit more. And I'm going to take a different tack on this. I'm going to do a bit of a, a kind of lightning fast biblical theology with you. Uh, what do I mean when I say biblical theology? I don't just mean theology that came from the Bible. Hopefully all your theology comes from the Bible. If it didn't come from the Bible, you should kind of punt that far away. All of your theology ought to come from the Bible. Uh, but when we say biblical theology like that, what we normally mean is we're taking a particular topic and we're tracing it through the Bible and seeing how it develops. We start at Genesis and we kind of go through the timeline all the way through to Revelation or maybe beyond to the end of time and seeing how this goes and how it finds its fulfillment in Christ. And since I'm plugging NTE while I'm up here, if you do strand two at NTE, you will do this biblical theology in a whole lot of detail. For me personally, strand two, bah, that was the one where I felt all the pennies were dropping and the way I read the Bible changed forever after strand two. But if it's your first time, you've got to go to strand one. Come back again for strand two. Anyway, we're going to do a biblical theology now of image of God. You ready? It's going to be quick. First point on the timeline is back in eternity past. You may remember, if you've been to these uh, talks the last couple of weeks, that Jesus himself, the Son, is the image of the eternal God. And you see that in a passage like Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That is the case from forever. It's always been the case. The Son is the image of his Father. And that's eternity past, but if you kind of, this is really weird to think this way, but if you fast forward from eternity past, you get to the moment of creation when God decided that he was going to make the universe, the moment when he said, let there be light. And if you remember Genesis 1 and 2 and his creation of humanity, when he made us, we were made in his image, right? Jesus is the image of God. We've been made in the image of God. There's Genesis 1 on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I don't have time to go into exactly what the image is, but clearly we, we mirror God in some way. We are like God in some way. You get a bit of a hint of it there in those verses. We are kind of going to rule over God's world. I mean, it's his world, really. He's ruling it. But we're in his image. We're kind of like his representatives. We also rule over this world, but under him. And you might not have ever joined these first two dot spots on the, on the timeline before. The fact that Jesus is the image of God, but we as human beings are made in the image of God. I mean, that can't be an accident, can it? It seems to me that already at Genesis 1 and 2, there is some kind of link between the Son and humanity. They already are very similar. He is the image. We are made in the image. It already feels like this is a, this is a setup. 
between Jesus and humanity. That won't, we won't know that until we get to the New Testament, but the, the signs are already there. Third point on the timeline, when humanity rebelled against God, the image was broken or ruined in us. Ever since that time, instead of reflecting God well, instead of being a great representative of who he is in this world, we've been really rubbish representatives. It's like the mirrors cracked and the, the image of God that we're supposed to be displaying has become distorted. It's not lost completely. Now, we know it's not, not lost completely because if you go check out Genesis chapter 9 later after the flood, uh, God still says to Noah that we are made in his image and in his likeness. So the image is still there, but it's broken, it's twisted, it's distorted. If only it could be repaired. Next little spot on the timeline comes uh, at Jesus' first coming. I think since the moment of creation, it's always been clear that there was going to be some kind of link between the Son in particular, not the Father, not the Spirit, the Son of God, who is the image of God, and human beings. And when Jesus enters the world, this becomes clear because the Son enters the world, and what does he become? He becomes a human being. That's interesting. The eternal Son, who has always been the perfect image of God, now becomes a human being who is made in the image of God. Only this time the mirror is not broken, it's not fractured, it's not distorted because Jesus has no sin. He never rebels against his Father. He's a perfect mirror. He reflects his Father perfectly in the world. Listen to John 14, which is up there on the screen, how perfectly he reflects his Father. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What an amazing thing to say. Next spot on the timeline. When someone becomes a Christian, the image of God in them begins to be restored. If you like, the mirror begins to be repaired somehow. And you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. This is a tricky passage and we could do a whole talk just on this one but what I want you to see here is the Trinity at work again the Holy Spirit we, we talked about last time in salvation the Holy Spirit softens our hearts helps us to understand the gospel and accept the gospel and we come to Christ and when we come to Christ we're given the gift of the Spirit who lives within us and he begins to transform us more and more and more into God's image the broken fractured mirror is somehow being repaired more and more and we reflect God better and better that repair job won't be complete in your lifetime it'll only be complete when the Lord Jesus comes back but the repairs have already begun praise the Lord and we were we are becoming who we were always meant to be so what's the application of this image that we had and then was broken and distorted but now in Christ by the power of the Spirit is being repaired well up on the slides there it should certainly lead to thankfulness 
all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of the brokenness, it doesn't have to be permanent. It's not a death sentence. It can be undone. It can be wound back and repaired. And we're given hope for the future. We are not yet what we will be. God hasn't finished working on you. If you've been a Christian for a while, I hope you can look back and already see progress. But that's only a fraction of what God has in store. We have a deep hope for the future. And I want to speak to the grads again as you finish your studies and you head out from the campus. If you're lucky, life is long. I'm feeling like life is long. And a time will come, I can testify to you, a time will come when your university days feel long ago, an age ago, and life gets busy. You feel like you're busy now, and you kind of are busy now because it's week 12 and I know exams are coming. Uh, But on the whole, student life is not as busy as it will be later on. Life gets real busy and it can feel dominated by getting married and staying married and having kids and raising kids and earning enough money and paying off that ridiculous mortgage and having enough for retirement left over at the end. And somewhere along the line, your hopes for the future, your big dreams can kind of and shrink down. Instead of your hope being for the future, occupied by the fact that Christ is going to return and the image of God that you were always supposed to be is going to be perfect and you will reflect God perfectly the way you were meant to be. And not only will you be perfect, but you'll be living in a new community of people who are also perfect. And so you'll have perfect relationships, perfect community. You will look after the earth in a perfect way. And the whole time being in God's presence, seeing him face to face, all of that can kind of beep, 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 beep. Career, money, superannuation, retirement, mortgage, blah, blah, blah. So grads, I want you to keep your vision large. Keep the timeline that you're thinking about long, stretching even into eternity. Don't let your worldview kind of pack down and just settle for little goals when they could be big, bold, wonderful goals. Our wonderful Trinity, third final point. We've looked at two wonderful blessings that we receive as Christians. The fact that we are invited into God's family and we become his children. And also the fact that the image in God and in us is not irreparably damaged. It can be repaired and God is in the business of repairing it. We have a wonderful identity. We have a wonderful hope for the future. And my hope is that through thinking about the Trinity the last couple of weeks and tonight, uh, that your insight into those blessings is deepened, flourished. I hope. I want to share with you one final passage that brings those two blessings together. And it's a a short passage in 1 John 3. It's up on the screen. It's also the final point on that timeline, if you like. It talks about Jesus' second coming. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. There's the first blessing that we've thought about. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are now the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. There's that second blessing. We will be so 
conform to the image of Christ, that we can be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. When you became a Christian, God's repair work in your life began and it will continue throughout your life. And one day when Christ returns, it'll be done. It'll be complete. You will be like Jesus. We have that glorious hope. And the last application for us is there in that last verse, verse 3. It's another parallel between us and Jesus. Since we've been invited into God's family, since we are his very own children, sons and daughters, since the image of God in us is being repaired, and since we have that hope for the future that one day we will be like Jesus, we purify ourselves. We put our sin to death. We try even now, with the Spirit's help, to become what we're going to be one day. We don't have to do it in our own strength. We have that wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit who's helping us to become more and more holy. And so we can do this in confidence and optimism. So the applications for us tonight are up on the screen there. Awe and praise and joy, having our identity rooted in Christ, being thankful, keeping that big hope for the future, and in the now, purifying ourselves, putting our sins to death. I'm going to give us, in just a second, a minute of silence. What I encourage you to do is look at those applications, and I want you to pick one, just one, whichever one it was that stood out to you the most, whichever one that struck you or that you think God wants you to pay attention to. And in the next minute of silence, chat to your Heavenly Father about that. Pray to him about that application. Then I'll wind us up and we're going to sing again. But let's just take a minute. Heavenly Father, we confess that we don't deserve any of these things that you've given to us by your grace. We're rebels. You would have been right just to say no and leave us to our own devices, but we thank you that you are a God of love. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that when we come to you, we're not just uh, patted on the back and said, all right, we're okay, I guess, off you go. We thank you that we're invited right into your family. We can be your children. We can sit down at the table and call you dad. We thank you that we have those wonderful truths now. We thank you for the incredible hope that we have for the future. We praise your name, Father, Son and Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.